And I'm excited for today. I'm excited for what we're going to talk about. I'm excited for our journey through Philippians. Um, if if um, you haven't been here, we are in a, a time where we're going through the book of Philippians together. We had Brendan talk about um, a couple weeks ago about how no prison can hold this. Do you remember that? He's talking about Paul and he's talking about how he's in jail and how he praises God even when he's suffering and when he's in jail. And no prison can hold his faith. His faith can still be, he can still be free to express his faith even though he's in prison. He said that we won't proclaim Jesus authentically unless we are with him. It's important that we're with him. I think it's why Paul could do what he did is because he was with God and he knew it. He knew he was with him. And then Brendan went on and said, there's more, which is I love that life message. There is more. God will never leave you where you're at. He will never um, let you settle for less. If you allow him, he will keep pulling you and tugging you and pressing in and pressing on you so that you get more and more and more. And Brendan said, he you can have that more because he's safe. You are safe in Christ Jesus. And remember what the verse was, to live is Christ and to die is gain. No matter what happens, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I live. It doesn't matter if I die. I have Christ. It's the only thing that matters. Paul knew that. He understood it at a level that allowed him to write what he wrote and to be in a place where he was at. To live is Christ, to die is gain. No matter what happens, I'm okay. And today we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 27. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, and we'll get started today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this new day. Thank you for this day to once again come and meet in your presence, to slow things down so that we can acknowledge and notice where you are and what you're doing. We give you permission, Lord, to do whatever you want to do today. In Jesus' name, amen. It's chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1. So we're in verse 27, and it starts, whatever happens. So now Paul has just got done saying, whether I live or whether I die, it doesn't matter. They're both gain. They're both good because I have Jesus. And then we come into this, and this is his transition, whatever happens. Because he knows. He knows that there's suffering, and he knows that we're going to be in trouble sometimes, and he knows all the things that can happen in life. And he says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Up to this point, Paul has been on three missionary journeys. He has seen a lot. He has experienced a lot. He has been through a lot. He's been stoned and left for dead. He's had conflict with his missionary partner, Barnabas. Can you imagine what they have been through together and then they they part ways? How that must have hurt and how that must not have felt good. And we'll see in a little bit that that will play into, I think, what Paul is writing here in Philippians. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, I think sometimes in the church, we put this too much on the surface. And I think conducting ourselves in a a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ is not about behavior modification. It's about inner heart transformation. 
I think that when we pay attention to what the real thing is going in our heart, is it offense, is it fear, is it loneliness, is it isolation, whatever it is, bitterness, when we pay attention to that, that conduct that's going on in the middle of our heart, when we pay attention to that, then we will see that we will address the conduct that is worthy of the gospel. I think sometimes behavior modification is where we stay, and I think that it's the other way around. I think if we address our own hearts and we look and say, what's really there? Am I willing to face it? The conduct will come. The behavior will come. And so so he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. He's saying, whether I live or die, whatever happens to me, continue to be a good witness. Continue to be a good witness for the gospel, a good model. When someone comes in contact with you and and you're in their presence and they're in your presence, what are they getting? What's in your heart? What are they getting? Keep on fighting the good fight. I think that's something Paul is saying. Now I'm going to share something with you, which is actually a clip from my favorite movie. Last service, I said it's in the top three. I don't know. I just keep thinking it's the top. So we're going to show a clip. We're going to talk about it. Come back to that. Hang on. Here it is. I am William Wallace. And I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as three men. And three men you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Fight and you may die. Run and you'll live. At least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to train all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take imagine Paul to be a lot like William Wallace. His heart for the freedom of Jesus Christ in his life and the people's lives of Philippi burns within him. He needs people to understand how important it is that they stick together and that they fight for the gospel together. 
that they don't leave one another behind. They can't take over and fight against the English if they're not together. Whether he lives or dies, both are good. He knows having the gospel truth proclaimed is worth everything he has endured. And it's time to rally the troops. That's what I think Paul is doing. Paul is rallying the troops, and he's saying, it's time, you guys. It's time to stick together. I don't know how much longer I have, but contend as one. Stick together is vital to contending. Paul knows the importance of sticking together. He gets it. He completely understands it. Think about his journeys with Paul and Barnabas. They experienced so much together. The first missionary journey, they went to Antioch, Cyprus, Perga, Iconium, Lystra, where Paul was stoned. Barnabas was present when Paul was stoned and left for dead outside of the city walls. And what does Paul do? He gets up and goes back in the city. How can he get up and keep moving after something like that happens? Because he had people with him. He had Barnabas with him. He had others with him that were for him. And he knew, and it burned deep in his soul to fight for the things of God. And then, in Acts 15, we see what happens between Barnabas and Paul. They have a, they have a conflict. They fight. They have a disagreement over John Mark, whether John Mark should come with or not. And then what, is they, what do they do? They part ways. They, can you imagine journeying together through so much together, and then you have a conflict and you part ways? Many of us have maybe even experienced that. Where you've been through a lot with somebody, and then friction comes in, dissension comes in, and then bitterness comes in, anger comes in, offense comes in, and you part ways and you're no longer together. Sometimes we don't have any control over that. But I think the Lord is asking us, and Paul is asking the church of Philippi to at least ask the question, Lord, is there anything you want me to do about this? Because Paul's saying, stick together. Paul understands it because he knows that what it's like to not have your buddy next to you. He knows what that's like. I think sometimes we look at Paul or we look at William Wallace and we think, oh, but they're so grand. But sometimes it's just a little gesture. When I was in seminary, they require you to go on a silent retreat. And this first silent retreat I went on was horrible. The Lord was stirring in my heart and he was working out a lot of things that needed to come out after years and years and years of being in there. A lot of bitterness, a lot of hatred, a lot of anger, a lot of stuff. And the only thing that I could hang on to in that season was, Lord, I have no clue what you're doing, but I give you permission. It's all I had. It's all I could give. So I go on this silent retreat, and I go into the cabin. It was at Pachaman Terrace up in St. Francis, and I fall on the floor, and I just sob, like, for three hours. This is probably too much information, but I remember getting up, and there was a puddle on the floor from the tears and everything that was coming. So it was just this horrible time, and I was afraid of the dark at the time, too. And so, you know, they have this big, huge window that looks out into the woods, and I'm thinking of all these scary movies I got to watch when I was like nine. And, you know, so this was just this horrible, horrible experience. But I was determined to let the Lord do the heart work he was asking to do, even if I didn't understand it. And so we, were group, we regrouped at the end, and we're sitting there at the end and as a, together, which as an introvert, 
I'm feeling extremely vulnerable and exposed, but I'm sitting there and I'm kneeling down on the floor and I'm still weeping. And I was with the group and I thought, well, you probably shouldn't be doing this. You should probably be sitting there and paying attention. And I'm like, whatever. I, I don't got it. I can't. And I remember thinking in my heart, I can't do this, God. I can't do this anymore. I can't do this work. It's too hard. What you're asking of me is too hard. I can't do it. And I'm, and I'm on the ground and I, my face is to the floor and I'm looking at the carpet and Again, you know, tears are flowing and snot is flying and, and all this stuff. And all of a sudden, I, out of the corner of my per- peripheral view, I see somebody, a foot come in and they slide a box of tissue right under my face. And I'll never forget, in the middle of one of the hardest times I've been in, somebody had my back. Somebody wasn't afraid of my emotion. Somebody wasn't afraid to enter it with me and stick together with me and walk through it with me. No words were needed. Nothing was needed. It was just a gesture. Here's a tissue box. This is what Paul is saying. Stick together. Contend as one. Contend as one. Go back a couple. This is the verse. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one for the faith of the gospel. Bridgewood, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to stick together as one? We really have to ask that question because what is the Lord preparing us for? He is doing something here. He is doing something here, and it's going to require us to stick together to to do whatever he's asking. It's why Brendan over and over and over is like, man, if we don't get this with Jesus thing, we'll we'll be isolated and we'll be without our power. Paul knows. He knows. He knows we need to stick together. I need 20 people. Youth, can you guys come up here? Anybody else? I need 20 people to come up. Okay. If you still think you're a youth, come on up. That's right. Come on, Paul. You see, the Lord gave me a picture of something I saw in a movie once. And it was the movie called The Four Feathers. And if you've ever seen an infantry square... You know that it's a battle tactic people that they used to use like in the Revolutionary War a lot, but, I've, but I was reading that it even started like in the uh, Han's dynasty. Han dynasty? Look it up, I don't know. And <laughs> so th- what they would do is cavalry was started to be part of war. And they, they had to learn how to fight against the cavalry because they were only infantry. And so they would do this. They would form this square and they would put what was important to them in the middle of the square and they would protect it with everything they had. They would protect it. Wait, let me out. (laughs) (laughs) One more here because they're not tight enough. They're not close enough. Shoulder to shoulder. And they were determined and they vowed, we are going to fight what is in the, for what's in the middle. We're going to fight to defend it. And we're going to do this together. And see, Zamora, 
He's here, and he knows what his challenges are because he's standing right next to them. He knows what his challenges are because he's standing right next to them. They know what they are about to face together, and they know it because they're stuck together. They know it because they're in it together. And the history of this shows that when the Calvary came, they were able to hold them off for a very long time. Sometimes they would put a second row in here. But they knew that they were in this together. And they knew that there was no way that they were going to give in and run when it got hard. Because if they did, you know what would happen? There would be a breach in the square. We have to stick together. And I think that's what Paul is telling us. Thank you, you guys. Whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one for the faith of the gospel. Paul knows what it takes. For it has been granted to you, verse 29, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. When Paul is writing this letter, it is 30 years after his conversion. He's been on three missionary journeys, and he's sitting in jail. I call it the place where he, co- where he founded General Electric Power Company. So if anybody wants to know, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, General Electric Power Company, it always helps me remember what order they're in, still to this day. <laughs> this is where he wrote those. He wrote those letters while he was in Rome, in jail. And then he gets out. He writes First and Second Timothy. After he writes First and Second Timothy, four years later, he passes away. He's martyred under Emperor Nero. I wonder, I wonder if he was sitting in jail and he knew intuitively that the end was coming for him. So... Was that happening? I'm not sure. But I wonder. This is one of the most vulnerable, honest, transparent letters Paul writes, in my opinion. He is, he is saying, look, you guys, stick together. They, I'm sure that the church of Philippi knew about his contention with Barnabas. Stick together. Stick together. It's one of his most personal letters. And I think what he's doing... I think he's preparing them. I think he's saying, when your leader is gone, when I'm not here anymore, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you going to stick together? Are you going to be for one another? Because I need you to do that. Why? For the sake of the gospel. Not for me, he says, but for the sake of the gospel. That's why I need you to do that. This is the next clip and the final clip, and I'm sorry if it's a spoiler, but I'm going to do it anyways. Um, it's, the la- it's the last scene of, of Braveheart. The guy on the horse with the chainmail helmet on, his name is Robert the Bruce. And Robert the Bruce and William Wallace were fighting together. They trusted each other. And in the middle of the movie, Robert the Bruce betrays William Wallace. He thinks, I believe he thinks it's the right thing to do. But he still betrays him. And 
Braveheart, William Wallace, is just devastated by the betrayal. The betrayal is actually the thing that sent William Wallace to be martyred. And so here you have Robert the Bruce and another leader on a horse and the armies of Scotland. And if they don't stick together, what's going to happen? But you know why they, be, why they came to this battlefield? They came to surrender. They came to say, you know what? We will be better off if we let England rule and we give up Scotland. We'll be better off. They've lost the fight. But then this happens. Now bleed with me. of Scotland, starving and outnumbered, charged the fields of Bannockburn. They fought like warrior poets. They fought like Scotsmen and won their freedom. Kids be fired up. Every single time. Because when we will stand and we will vow to fight for the things of God in our life, we will win. We'll win. Whether we live or die, we'll win. 
before this position, I worked at the Master's Institute for 11 years, and uh, Mike Bradley was my boss. He was my boss for 10 years. And when he departed and it was time for him to go and time for me to still stay, I had some, a little anxiety about that, not sure exactly what was going to come. So he's packing up his office, and he, and he comes over to where I sit, and he said, Sharon, I want to give you something. And this used to hang in his office all the time. And what he doesn't know is I used to go in there and lift it and hold it and dream about it and think about what it meant to fight for the things of God. So he came to me and he says, I want to give this to you. And as soon as he said that, I'm kind of lost, so don't quote me on the words. But it said something like this. He said, I know how you fight for the things of God. I know how you don't settle for less than everything that he has for you that is good and right. And he said, I see how you take territory for the kingdom, and I see that you're a fighter and you're a warrior for God, and I want you to have this. He was for me. He saw in me things that that I never saw And he even said to me, he said, you are so far better than you even know. He says, you have so much in you that you have not even tapped into. And this represents to keep fighting for that. And you know what kind of fight he's talking about? He's talking about an internal fight. He's talking about a fight of your mind and a fight of your heart that you don't let go. He's not talking about taking this and wielding this to other people and getting people out of my way because our fight isn't against people. This is a sword of the Spirit. Who are we bringing with us when we take territory for the kingdom? We're taking the sword of the Spirit. And so then when we do that, we don't have to wield it and cut people's heads off with it like we're in the zombie apocalypse. We just walk with our presence and we walk with the presence of God. We walk with the transformation of our heart. We walk with the vow to never give in to the things that God doesn't want us to give in to and that Paul's talking about. We don't give in to slander. When somebody slanders our name, we say, I've got the sword of the Spirit and I've got God. You have nothing against me. When we, when we struggle with fear, we say, I've got the sword of God. Fear be gone. And you call somebody and you say, will you stick with me in this because this is harder than I can do by myself. And we, did, we just are determined to stick together. When you're lonely, you call someone and you stick together. When somebody's going through a hard time and grieving, you stick together. If we could do that, I think about that. I think if Bridgewood does that, if Bridgewood knows how to stick together and love one another and be for each other and put a stop to any kind of slander or gossip, which really isn't, it doesn't, it's not prevalent here, but I've seen churches crumble under it. But let's just bow together that we won't do that to each other and that we'll stick together and we'll take care of the bitterness and the anger and the hatred in our lives. I grew up 
with so much anger, so much hatred, which just took root as real ugly bitterness. And unfortunately, my mom was the target. My mom was the target. I remember being in a conference, and one day, the Lord just said, it's time to let this go, and it's time to be done with it. So I said, Lord, I don't know how. I don't know how to let it go. And I heard this, extend the grace that has been extended to you. And then I began to think of all the things I have done in my life that needed to be covered in grace. And I began to think of all the things that I've done that have hurt other people. And the Lord forgave me. The Lord redeemed it. Oh, God, did he ever. He redeemed it. And I understood what he meant to extend that grace to others. How can we not extend the grace to others? That's what I thought. How can I not? It takes work. It's hard work. It takes time. But are we committed to it? Are we committed to it? An internal resolve to stick together, and then we will live like Paul is just empowering us to live like whether you, I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one for the faith of the gospel. He's told us to have confidence in Christ. Jesus will fight for you. He will fight for you. When you're lonely, Jesus will fight for you. When you're depressed, Jesus will fight for you. When you're grieving, Jesus will fight for you. Hang on to him. Stick together. Call a friend. Do whatever you have to do to contend as one for the gospel. That's what we have. That's what we have. And I think that's what Paul is telling us to do. Paul's not here. But we have the same spirit. We have the same spirit. And we have confidence in Christ who brings us to a new place that we've never been before.